podcast with Alan and Chad. This podcast was developed with teachers in mind. We're glad to have you joining us on the podcast where we will dive into everything related to teaching, learning, and technology integration. Our goal is to inspire passion in teachers by discussing strategies and activities that have been successful in the classroom, along with ways to integrate technology for maximum student engagement. In each episode, we want to look at things teachers are doing that are working, detailing teaching strategies and technology integration ideas. Also, special guests will join us to share their own strategies that have been successful with their learners. Welcome back for another episode of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad. And in this episode, we are going to be continuing with the Everyone Can Create series from Apple. In the last episode, we focused on Everyone Can Create Drawing, and this time we're going to be moving on to the Everyone Can Create Photo Book. There's a lot of great ideas in this book that can be used with iPad or other devices, and all of these ideas that we talk about will give students an opportunity to take the knowledge that they've gained uh, in their classes and then to use creativity to enhance that or to go deeper in that learning. So we'll be talking about activities from a variety of different subject areas, and we'll try to do that in a way uh, that gives some specific ideas of things that you can use. And while these things are geared toward iPad, that's the way they've been designed, it doesn't mean that you can't use another type of technology or another device um, to do some of these projects or work on some of these ideas in a way that would benefit students. Right, you could still have the different creative approach when you jump in with, with maybe a Chromebook or a laptop setting. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing to remember when you're looking at the idea of using photos, students generally tend to be very visual in the way that they learn. So if we're using photo content, uh, we're using things that they can see, that they can visualize, and then hopefully in the process make better connections with that material. Right, because chances are they're pulling things or taking pictures of things that make sense to them. Uh, so when they draw the content to it, it'll bridge that connection a little bit better than if I'm making up the example and giving it to them. Yeah. The first idea that we want to talk about is um, a general activity that could be used in a variety of different subject areas or a variety of different ways, and that's called the personified image. So the basic uh, idea behind the personified image is that the student chooses a photo. This could be a photo that they take using the camera on their device. could be a screenshot as well. And what they're going to do with this image, they're, they're choosing a subject that is an inanimate object, something that's not, not, not necessarily a living thing. And then after they take that image, using the markup tools, let's say on iPad, for example, they're going to go ahead and add some of their own sketches or drawing to that using Apple Pencil, using a Logitech crayon, using a stylus, whatever they have available. And so what they have to be able to do is think about what type of personification they want to give that object. So in the Everyone Can Create uh, photo book, one of the examples that they give that's kind of comical uh, has to do with golf. So they have like a golf ball up on a tee, and they actually take the um, photograph of it from like a really low angle where you're looking up at the ball sitting on the tee. And you can see the club head moving kind of, you can see that it's in motion moving toward the ball. And then what they've done to give like a personification to the golf ball, they draw like a face on the front of it where it looks like it's really scared and really afraid as the club head is approaching it. So it's kind of a a funny way to give personification to the golf ball. So in that regard, you know, it could be just done as a fun project where you're trying to show personification, um, something where it's just based on any image that the students choose. That's probably a little bit more geared toward like an art class or a digital design type class. Uh, But we're going to talk about some ways that we can use images 
into a variety of different projects in the content areas. Yeah, uh, so let's go ahead and start with math. You know, when I'm on, when I'm thinking about my content that I worked with, you know, there was always these word problems. Uh, kids already get caught up because they're seeing and reading in math, and then trying to really say, okay, is is this a realistic problem or is this just made up? So the big one I would always pull is geometry. Um, you know, and I always think of triangles, and there's always the ladder up against the wall type of problem. Right, oh, and, and use Pythagorean's pit, theorem, yeah. figure out the length of... A squared of, plus B yeah. squared. Right, so, you know, it, what comes to mind here is I can take a picture of that situation. My triangle then can be personified to then incorporate these different things that it's referring to itself. Mm-hmm. You know, what is A, B, and C? What's a right angle? Uh, you know, it... You can actually see each of those different legs of the triangle and sketch right. them out with the real real object like they might see in a word problem. Yeah, exactly. So that way they're taking what the problem is, they're adding the image, and then it's a little bit of creativity so that we're starting to bridge uh, what their their connections are to the actual word problem, and then we can go into the solving piece. Yeah. Um, another another problem that I've seen a lot, of, a lot of different occasions in math is dealing with something that's casting a shadow. Oh, and yeah. so, you know, if you have, Comparing let's say, a basketball shadows. hoop, for example, casts a shadow when the sun is at this angle, and then can we find the distance would be the third leg between the shadow and between the hoop. So be an opportunity to get kids, if you had a setting at your school where you could get kids outside and find a situation oh, like yeah. that to take the actual photo. I mean, those are ratios and proportions when you start talking, even algebra. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorites that they always do is um, find X. And then, you know, the X is personified as like, you know, it's like a where's Waldo, but he's right here. And I mean, that's a simple, silly one, but it's getting kids to then start thinking, how do I identify what, what is the variable I'm looking for and how do I isolate it? Yeah. Uh, the other one, real simple, that, that, I, that comes to mind is geometry or like the end of algebra class, getting into geometry concepts and identifying different shapes and polygons. And, mm-hmm. and then you can add that personification to them to then start pointing out different pieces and parts and properties of them versus each other. You know, I was thinking about that project. When you talk about geometry, that's not something that I think would draw a lot of kids in right away to be looking at different shapes or trying to learn different shapes. But if you could do it in a way that you found like a picture that they took themselves that was something that stood out to them or something that they were really drawn to, and then they were to use that markup over top of it to identify those different shapes that they were looking for, it, it is a deeper way of engaging with the content. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, geometry is a def- uh, more difficult type of class given the abstract concept. So allowing that, that piece where they can bring in parts that they already know, they can recognize shapes, and then building onto that. I think it's just you're adding in the ability to bridge the ideas mentally. So if we move on to an English language arts setting... Personification is something that comes up when English teachers are working on literary concepts. And a way that you could use photos to do this, I think, is really, I think is really an interesting concept. If you're working on the idea of character traits and you're trying to look at the different characters in a story and you want the students to identify and then describe and maybe even exaggerate those traits... What if you gathered several different photos and put those in like a keynote file and then on each page the student actually using the markup tools was to add some personification to that picture to try to highlight the character's traits from the story. Mm. So So they're telling story in a visual manner 
based on what they read. So the comprehension then has to be taken into how they can articulate it through art. Yeah. I think back to my time that I taught language arts for a couple of years early in my career at the middle school level. And that was a big part of a lot of our standards. We're looking at story characters and then taking some of the characteristics that they had and comparing and contrasting or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, putting those in, into, and most of it was either done um, by writing about it or then putting it on some type of like comparison chart. But I think this is an interesting way to kind of expand that because if a student's going to be able to take some of their characteristics and then, um, personify those in a in a, a creative way they really do have to understand the character you you can't really fake that no and and especially with the creativity that some students have and the artistic skills that some students have that would go well beyond what I do what a cool way for them to take what they know about the characters and then expand on that and create a, a product that we could actually share and look at e- what each other have and again it it there's a couple ways you could do it if it's a story that has been made into a movie, you mm-hmm. could potentially get those characters, like shots of those characters from the movie. And that's that what movie. came to my mind was, you know, we have all these books that go to the movie format. Mm-hmm. And, and this is almost a kid's way of, of bridging, you know, into the visual art from the storyline. Yeah. Classic story would be The Outsiders read at the middle school level, mm-hmm. you know, for a long, long time. And that's in the form of a movie. And even though it's an older book and an older movie, there's still an entrance level with students, you know, typically when they read through that. But all the different actors that were involved in that movie, you know, Tom Cruise and Emilio Estevez and Patrick Swayze. I mean, a lot of actors who oh, went yeah. on to have big careers. So when you could actually get shots of each of those characters from the book and then do some personification through that, you know, creative process type of activity that might draw students in who might not be as interested as, as um, they would be filling out like a T-chart or oh, r- yeah. writing a comparison essay about the two. Well, this, and, and that would almost be your comparison there, being able to see what are they pulling at in regards to those characters. Right. Yeah. So, you know, talking about comparisons, it makes me think of uh, social studies. You know, this kind of brings up the example that they, that they talk about in the Everybody Can Create Photo for Social Studies. Um, having historical timelines and looking at maybe places or things in time and doing a comparison. Mm -hmm. So um, you could look at technology from 1960 to 2020 and you can highlight the differences or similarities between the two. Right. Um, or, Or if we're looking at maybe an event in history and you could look at the specific place that that event occurred, um, you know, I think of, uh, f- for it's escaping me, but let's say um, Hiroshima. Okay. Before the A-bomb to now. Oh, Right, yeah. and you could show and compare and have the conversations about the effects of nuclear war and what that looks like and then how it has progressed over time in that area, even though it was, you know, devastated. It's like... To be able to look at that change over time. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and draw out the comparisons and then have an analysis coupled, coupled with that. I mean, you're adding in now. There's extra layers there for right. sure. As you brought up the idea of change over time, and you mentioned in like a social studies or a history con, uh, content area, I was thinking about an idea like this with technology. So think about the idea of communication. A lot of our social studies um, standards have to do with communication, how people communicate ideas and share oh, right. ideas. Yep. Think about how much the phone has changed over time. And oh, yeah. a lot of our students today where a cell phone has been part of their life since they've been born. Right. To be able to go back and look at 
where the, the telephone started and then just to have like a collage of throughout the years, the different steps of that, and then to put that together with photos and then to possibly add their own annotations or any type of enhancement with, with drawing over top of that. Uh, that would really be an interesting way for them to be able to kind of put all of that together and, and visualize the changes while they're actually finding some of the information themselves. Right. I mean, because those, when you're talking about tech, those are drastic changes over time where, right. you know, sometimes when we talk about government, they're very slight and subtle, subtle adjustments yeah. over decades where yeah. tech, it's year to year we see advancement. Yeah. I mean, that even in the cell phone era, to go back to like the bag phone when people had like the original car phone that was in a bag oh, yeah. that had to plug in to the the smaller uh, handheld phone and then the flip phone and then back to, you know, the addition of the smartphone and how that's changed over time. So there is really a lot there to consider and to look at. They were enormous and then they, it was like the smaller, the better. And now it's like and they've reversing grown back and, and now it, it's like, right. You have a tablet in your back pocket. Very cyclical. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and as important as that is in the student's everyday life, that's going to be a type of project that they would probably find more relevant and, and interesting as they're putting that all together. Oh, most definitely. Not one thing not to discount too. If you're looking in a social studies context, if you mentioned looking at uh, a specific area where a historical event occurred, mm-hmm. um, the other thing that you could also use would be satellite images. And, oh, yeah. And to be able to you know, take a screenshot of a satellite image and then work with that, whether it's in a collage setting, whether it's in a, a markup setting. So you would, don't want to discount those because satellite images can be really powerful. When right there's a Chrome activity. I mean, you use mm-hmm. Google Earth that you then can take your screenshot on your computer and then you can do your draw up analysis within the laptop setting. Yeah. And we, you know, Google Earth is one thing that the students have available through the app on iPad for, mm-hmm. in our district as well to be able to get in there and, and look at that. And students, they typically... They typically, um, if you don't give them direction in Google Earth, it won't be super uh, super educational. They typically look for the standard things, their house, their friend's yeah, right. house, you know, their school. Look at the things they know. Uh, but if you start to give them some direction as to how, like, certain areas that you want them to look up based on the project, it can be really a great activity. And I, one thing that I was thinking of years ago when we did a project-based learning activity um, at STEAM Academy it, and it was centered in history, so it was about Egypt. Okay. And the students were just amazed that if they looked at the pyramids in Egypt, and then there was a KFC right next to them that they could <laughs> see in the that they could see on Google Earth, and they were just they were amazed by that. I had more than one student, and I was teaching math at the time, coming, "Hey, look at this! We were in social studies looking at this. There's a KFC right next to these pyramids." And times have changed. <laughs> right there is a key one that could be used. So to finish up with the idea of of photos in terms of um, just the idea of the personified image or collages or changes over time. Science gives you a lot of different activities where this would be a good fit and an easy transfer. So one of them would be the idea of taking up close or zoomed in images. Let's take middle school science for example. Usually under your earth science standards you're going to have something relating to different types of rock formations. Mm Now, there's a topic that if you don't approach it the right way, you can lose interest and engagement really fast learning about rocks. But if you can do it in the right way, students, it's, it's really amazing to me. I've seen students that you wouldn't expect really get an interest in these different types of rocks if you give them activities that allow them to engage with them and explore them the right way. So 
uh, let's say that we're talking about igneous and metamorphic and sedimentary rock, different different rock formations that most right. standards have them have them learn about. Uh, if you were to take those different kinds of rocks and then as you're learning about the characteristics of each one, do some uh, zoomed in or up close photography where they can then take those images and really point out some of the key characteristics. Right, they can identify the differences. Yeah, you're letting them first of all work with a hands-on uh, element where they're examining the rocks, mm-hmm. and then by g- using the photos, you're kind of digging a little bit deeper into that and getting them to engage a little bit more. And the key is that you're pointing them in the right direction. Of we're not just taking pictures of rocks, but we're trying to document specific things and then put them into a lab report or a science notebook or wherever you're going to house that. And with science being a lot of uh, observatory-type activities, I mean, this is perfect. I, th- I think out of all the activities we've talked about, aside from ELA, this is a natural fit. Talk about personification, but science, I think this is your next best bet where you could go in, and this is the probably the easiest type of uh, activity that you can slide into some of your lab-based um, activities that are in class. And one other, one other activity that often comes up, if you're working on a, a, some type of uh, plant, plant-based content where you learn about maybe plant cells and then characteristics of plants and how their cells are put together and they form structures and systems. Right. You know, a lot of times in the middle school environment or even in the high school environment, we try to grow different things. And so when you plant a seed and try to see it through to be able to document that with photos and then at the end put those photos into like a, a collage that shows changes over time, similar to our social studies example, right. uh, that's a great, you know, think about how we would do that in the past would be a matter of sketching You it. sit there and draw it out. Right. And, and for some kids who are really talented, that could be a nice project by the end. For people like myself where I didn't I feel comfortable drawing, yes. I, could, I would sketch it and I would try. But in the end, did it really bear a good resemblance with all the details as to, you know, what it would if I took a photo? Not really. Or give me a good idea at the end of what was the progression of growth. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was the same way. I struggled with the drawing. So I, I would be very apt to be more photo-based. Mm-hmm. And I'd love this idea of being able to go in and look at the progression and draw out my differences and, and make the comparisons visually that way. Because if I rely on it, my confidence and my engagement automatically dropped. Mm-hmm. And another thing that we do in science is we often have diagrams where we ask them to label key characteristics or key components. And so this is a perfect example of not only are we going to label those key components, but it becomes that much more real if it's a subject that they've taken the photo, something that we actually have in the classroom that they're working with, as opposed to me just going out onto the, the Internet and pulling a photo in and then we're going to diagram that. If we're looking at plant structures and plant cells into the structures that are formed, now they're taking pictures of what they've actually grown. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more of a connection there because it's something they have a personal, personal, better personal understanding of because they're actually working with it in the class. Yeah. And with that being said, as we talk about the idea of changes over time, let's say in the growth of a plant, we're going to look at some ideas next of how we could use animated GIFs in class. And by doing that, Putting, adding in motion, uh, adding in uh, changes that are not just static and that we're looking at them in a collage format, but how can we actually use these uh, with animated GIFs? And we know that kids love GIFs. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. So, so you've got not only uh, the opportunity that you can, if you know how to use the iPad or another device to create these GIFs, you can make your own, which as a teacher is kind of fun, but then also to give them the skill to teach them how to go about making their mm-hmm. own 
and use those, try to leverage those and use those in a way that they're not just something funny that they want to show their friend, but they're actually enhancing the, the content or being creative with the content that we're learning about. Right, because if, if they understand it well enough, they're going to bring in a little bit of goofiness themselves. You know, we know that kids love the visual components. This yeah. is now adding in um, almost like a picture movie-esque type component. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I started thinking about math and their activity that this everyone can create talks about is fractions in motion and, and taking something like uh, a toy, food, and I picture like a pizza mm-hmm. and the, the little fraction number next to it. And if I show somebody like eating the pieces of pizza and as it's losing pieces, you can start showing the different fractions that are compared to the whole pizza. Right. And that's putting, and really that's what the fraction is, is a representation of parts of a whole. Mm-hmm. And so they're demonstrating that. And we know that often kids with the the abstract concept, sometimes they have a hard time visualizing or expressing fractions. So you're giving them a way to actually create something as they're showing a way to express it, which I think is really cool. Right. And the, and the, and the GIF itself would be all of maybe eight seconds. It'd be very short yeah. in the end. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I even think of another one in algebra. I could, um, with my steps of isolating a variable, mm-hmm. you know, same thing, factoring a polynomial. Um, you could, you could add in these visuals in your steps and then each layer is a different step. Mm-hmm. And the idea, since we're talking about photos, I, you know, I think back to our drawing episode last time, but the idea, since we're talking about photos, what if there was an algebra problem that actually represented parts of a story problem and they had photos uh, in each step as you had that GIF going through as you were isolating and doing the different steps that represented what we were, what we were discussing or describing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you've got that both angles, whether you're using sketches to go with it, sketches and drawing, or whether you're using photo. But either way, um, GIFs can be, especially, in, you know, because we're kind of Apple-centric here and going back to the Everyone Can Create series, Keynote is a great place to be able to create GIFs. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're in a building like ours where students are one-to-one with iPad, they have the opportunity to do that. And then they can export it out to, to then send it to you. Yep, right as a GIF. I think with... With, with it being an everyone can create and it's an Apple series, the more you can use the Apple apps themselves, you're going to have more tools and resources to build to really meet the needs of these different projects. It's going to be a, a natural fit. Yeah, exactly. Fit. One of the gifts I think of that I created as a teacher back when we would do testing and other things like that, I had the old uh, I'm watching you thing where it was like <laughs> like this and then like that. <laughs> fingers to the eyes then pointing at them and it would just loop back and forth and i and you know some of them would roll their eyes like oh that was kind of lame but a lot of them thought it was funny and yeah I'd put that up there like you know the old i'm watching you type gifts. anytime it's something goofy i mean you're right. gonna get like the the eye roll but they do they think it's they they can't laugh out loud i mean that's they can't give you that credit but yeah but you you can tell you when you watch them and, and they don't think anybody's watching you know whether or not that it's got through to them so mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to English language arts, as far as the, the GIF idea goes, uh, a storytelling GIF is an interesting project where you ask them to tell a story with photos of uh, one or more objects or people. So uh, it can be really it can be really a challenge where they have to take what they know about the about the story that they're trying to tell and then tell that through objects because they have to choose the objects which are inanimate and then build those in a way that the motion of the GIF, the switching from one image to the next, takes you through a story. Hmm. So that's really, to me, pretty interesting because, 
you know, you're, you're asking them to do something where if they're choosing the objects themselves, there's creativity there. And if they're planning out how it's going to fit with, you're going to have to give them some structure on what type of, what type of story you want them to tell. But like a prompt, a little bit of a guide as far as like a storyboard. But yeah, you're really dealing with the same kind of project as giving them a writing prompt and asking them to write about it. Now you're just trying to express idea in a little bit more different and creative way. Now, a lot of teachers would say, and I can picture some of my teachers at at McKinley saying, wow, this is a lot of content. So you're not going to be able to just send a project like that out to them on their own. I mean, you're going to really have to model up, work through the steps potentially do one together where you're everybody's using the same object and you take them through the steps of how to do it. Mm-hmm. But by giving them those tech skills, you really are giving them transferable skills that they can continue to use as oh, they move definitely. on. Yeah. So, you know, some of the things that are available in Keynote that help you as you make these gifts as well, if you're trying to tell a story with objects or even with images of people, you know, they can even do this with a small group with their friends where they take images of each other. And if you have an iPad with new enough hardware in it, what's really cool is you can take a selfie and then by pressing on the person in there, actually pull out and make like a PNG style uh, image where it takes the whole background out and you just pull the person out. So when you start thinking about putting those into GIFs, you know, it gives it a, kind of a, a cool feel compared to just a picture of a person with like a background in there. And right, stuff. and the, you're kind of isolating that you're, image itself. You're isolating it. So you start to add in things like the transitions between image to image, which is a big part of mm-hmm. of Keynote, uh, or different animations or transitions. Uh, those are going to go a long way to help convey that message. And again, as the teacher, you really have to take some time to go through and give them some examples of what's available to them because to just ask them to kind of search through all the different transitions and animations, that's probably not going to be a very useful um, task. But if you start to give them some examples and, and start to open their eyes to what's available, then that lets them take the creativity part to extend mm-hmm. that and maybe do something that goes beyond it. Well, and, and you're saying a lot, and I'm thinking as a teacher that's not comfortable with, I mean, I would, but in general, if we have a teacher that's not comfortable with tech and they hear there's going to be a lot of prep work, I would say even... What you're saying is exactly on point, but if I'm a teacher that's not comfortable, maybe only pick a, a few transitions or a few animations that you know or are comfortable with because kids will naturally start exploring themselves. Right. You know, but if you can guide them on maybe one or two and show them where the animations and transitions are, yep. kids will pick it up. But it's the matter of you still have to show and, and model where those different tools are at. And a technology lesson is no different than good teaching in a standard conventional lesson where you might give a word bank or you might narrow down choices so they don't get too overwhelmed. This could be the exact same way. If you gave them a framework project with a prompt, asked them to pick between four different transitions and kind of gave them a nice variety. As you said, it takes some legwork and some good planning, but we know teaching always does. We just don't want anybody to get like deferred from trying any of this. I mean, just don't feel like you have to be a master Exactly. At the whole program in order exactly. to do so. I love the idea of like a word bank where you're, it's selective. When you're talking about creating a GIF, though, I would say that the absolute bare minimum knowledge you would need to have as a teacher if your students were working on iPad with Kino is just making sure that they could get those photos in there mm-hmm. uh, on multiple slides and then understanding the timings between those slides and then being able to export it as a GIF. Really, those three steps are the main things. Right. And then the enhancement beyond that is going to be... You All know, the additions are fluff. Right. Well, opportunity for creativity, but think about on like a mastery level, 
they kind of go beyond fluff because they're demonstrating higher levels of mastery depending on what the extras mm. are they put in. You know, if we've, it's content-based, we, right. We've all seen students that when they're working with technology add the different transitions, animations, and things into like a slideshow just to try them all out. Like yeah. it's a little bit of I want some of this and some of that and they don't fit together. But I've always thought that when you're trying to take the learning to the next level with the technology, you should be thinking of it from a standpoint of how does each thing that I add in here enhance my idea? How does it better mm -hmm. convey my idea, better show what I'm trying to express? Right. And and that's the, almost getting them to think like, you know, we talk about the disciplinary li yep. literacy. That's trying to get them to think like a graphic designer. Think about a graphic designer who creates an ad or who creates like a commercial or creates something with visuals. Everything they choose from the colors to the fonts to the shapes are all meant... To the speed, to the flipping. Yeah, it, It's all meant to enhance an idea and whoever's consuming that content, you're trying to get them to feel or think a certain way. Well, if we're trying to explain the content that the students have learned about, it can be the same way. From the colors you choose to the font, everything should fit. And again... If the student doesn't have a real deep understanding of the content, that's going to be a lot harder to do. Right. If they do understand the content really well, it's going to be easier for them to make those connections and, and to try to think more about the next step. So they do have to have the content knowledge to start or they can't really expand and create. Right. You're going to see well. a very simplified version that's submitted versus one that is probably a little more thought through, a little more creative. Right. And one last thing to add to that when we talk about this um, idea of storytelling with a GIF Obviously, we're looking at photos as a starting point, but the one thing you can do that's a nice enhancement is to mix together in your GIF the photos along with doodles in there. So if you're using a stylus or an Apple Pencil, as your GIF, think about if you have, let's say, for example, if you're doing some storytelling that has images of people. Mm -hmm. And as those images of people change, you also have hand-drawn doodles that come in that enhance whatever idea it is that you're trying to tell. It's kind of a nice way to integrate what we talked about last time with then adding photos. Oh as well. yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, so uh, moving into social studies, um, talking about cultural symbols, I really like this idea. Uh, we had a conversation in our disciplinary literacy cohort last semester, and they were talking about the idea of imperialism, capitalism, nationalism, and I started thinking about the the ways to represent those different meanings. And if you have almost a stop motion to animate the collection of images that represent what imperialism is or nationalism is, you would now be associating that term not just with a definition or uh, a abstract concept. You are now associating it visually for the kids to you know have something to connect it to. Yeah, and let's let's make sure too for anybody who's not familiar with stop motion, the idea is that we're taking inanimate objects and then we're using those photos and playing those in an order where they, the things that are inanimate are actually then appear to be moving or showing motion. Right. So on a real, like a really simple level, one of them that they used in the everyone can create photo uh, booklet was actually an apple being eaten. Oh yeah. So they had started with the apple and then there were several photographs of it with an extra bite taken out of it each time. And then when they put that in motion in the slide deck, then it became, you know, it went from being inanimate to show showing motion, but they were all still photos being used to make that. So we're not using video here. We're actually using still photos and then trying to put them in motion. It's like a flip book. Very, 
Very similar. Used to do that in going, yeah. going back before we had as many technology tools available. That was one of we my core science projects. Yeah. We would do weather patterns. Oh, okay. So what we would actually do in middle school science, we had to learn about warm fronts and cold fronts and different uh, precipitation patterns, high pressure, low pressure zones, and how those fit in weather. We would have several different pages, and you would have to actually show the front moving across the country by drawing it in there in different locations. And as you would flip through the flip book, that would put each of those in. Oh, it would wow. look like it was That's in pretty cool. It's yeah. a lot of work. It, That's pretty it, cool. It, it is. <laughs> it was a lot of work, too. And that, some kids, it was harder to get them all the way through from start to finish than others. But just to kind of make sure that everybody's on, uh, aware of and understanding when we talk about stop motion, we're talking about taking um, still photos and then putting those together in a way that demonstrate and show motion. Yeah. So the other one that they talk about is like a diversity morph. Uh, so this is actually talking about taking a photograph of two or more faces or hands from exactly the same angle. So um, we talked about this in our district being a very diverse district. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine having everybody from different ethnicities and gender and, and having them in this image uh, where then they're all holding their hand, in this case it was hand, right, in the same place and taking the same picture of each of them and then it's like a flip book that goes through and it's mm -hmm. showing that, you know, um, we're, we're all of the same. I think that even not just in our student body, but I'm thinking about our staff that, at the that high too, school, yeah. and that you could, if you could were be to, everybody, it could be you know, the community, it could be, yeah. What a, what a what a cool idea for starting like a beginning of the year video, just like uh, showing everybody on the same at the same place, getting started in the journey, and having like a consistent location and a, an image of each of our staff members, and then running that through as a video. Man, that'd be cool, right in front of the building. Yeah, you, you could have everybody almost like standing, but it's like the back of them, and it just shows like the. The quick image of everyone. Yeah, in front of the building. I'm thinking of some of the different, like, of the graphics we have up at different places in the building that kind of stand out. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting project. And that starts to become more personal, too, if you're finding ways that you can implement and integrate that in class. Because one of the things we know about students when it comes to photography is they do like to take pictures of themselves. Yeah. And so if you're able to use that in a way part of a social studies lesson with diversity, what great content area because they can definitely relate to things involving themselves. Mm -hmm. I know that for a fact looking at student iPads because generally when we start to run out of storage, most of what's stored on their camera the roll is selfies and videos and that kind of stuff as opposed to, you know, <laughs> screenshots and academic content. <laughs> well, one last idea for a stop motion video and we'll, we'll look at this from the science perspective you know, we do a lot of different lab activities and we're very process oriented in, in the sciences. And so what a great way to demonstrate a lab process or a lab procedure than with a stop motion video. If you have all your lab tools that are involved and you can get still images of an experiment, I'm thinking about some simple chemical reactions we do in middle school science. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's one thing to go through the process and try to record and film a video of it. Pretty simple to do. But there's just something that's kind of powerful about each of them being still images and then moving through in a way where it goes through what are the materials, where do you start, what do you add next, and then like what kind of reaction do you get and what does it look like. And it can be done in a very, like if the kids are doing it, in a very step-by-step -step Very sequential and process-oriented. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And when you're doing that type of activity... You know, the students have to be very aware of what order the steps of the process mm -hmm. goes so that they can set it up the right way. And another thing that really, I think, creates uh, an opportunity for them to think and do some trial and error. 
for the, the end product to look good, if you're creating a GIF of steps of an experiment, they have to get those timings right. Because mm-hmm. if the timings aren't right, it, if it's too slow, it's going to be... It's not gonna be. It's gonna be boring to watch because it's not giving you the feel of how it actually moves through. Right. But if it's too fast and you can't keep up, then it's not gonna make a lot of sense either. So timing is really an important part of that to explain a process. Which then adds into your um, scientific um, process of thinking through what what can I anticipate as well. So like you said, you know, if they're prepared, it's not only just having it set up and ready to go. It's also thinking through what is gonna happen. Yeah. And when we talk about these um, science stop motion videos, same concept as when we talked about it in social studies. If you're adding doodles or text in there, I love this idea. You have you have tons of different directions you can go. So you've got your actual images, and you're mm-hmm. you're uh, setting those up on various slides to go through the process sequentially, and then using the drawing tools, you're adding in little sketches and doodles. Think about all the text options that are available and word art that you can implement in there. I mean, it's just the amount of opportunities for creativity are endless. Well, I visualize like a little drawn out fake teacher or the student, you know, drawing as himself, like pointing to what like the different things are happening in the science experiment yeah. for each each image of the GIF. And, and as you, so that's another part of that too, as you go through that, when you start to draw, if you had the, the hand-drawn stick figures, I mean, mm-hmm. in that, in that oh, case, yeah. you don't have to be overly artistic, but if they know how to draw stick figures and the ability to record your drawing... That's yep. another cool thing because just like one of those recorded whiteboard drawings, then the hand-drawn part can actually be drawn in and you can actually be creating some of that motion as well. But if we're in the, in the realm of stop motion, um, maybe that's a little bit excessive. Maybe it's just a matter of... There's always layers, yeah. E- you know, each stage that the stick character is going to be in and what they're pointing at, I think that's great. And some of the students are very creative with the types of stick figures and the things that they draw. Oh, yeah. And, and the thing that I always think about as well... You know, sometimes when it came to my project ideas, it was kind of a swing and a miss as far as student engagement. And I've seen a lot of drawings and sketches come up on their papers over the years when they were disengaged. So my thought with this is that if we can take those things that they do when they're bored and engage those in their learning, you know, we're kind of leveraging those things and and making it a little bit more interesting, a little bit more uh, of an opportunity to be creative. And in the end, hopefully a better learning experience. Most definitely. Well, this brings us to the end of the episode on Everyone Can Create Photos. We're hoping that you found some ideas that you can use when facilitating uh, these type of projects in your own classroom. Remember that even if you're not in an iPad district, these things can be, in a way, transformed into fitting other devices, whether it's a Chromebook, uh, whether it's a, a PC. As long as you have a camera and a medium to put those in. It doesn't necessarily have to be iPad and Keynote. There's a lot of different ways that these can be implemented. Make sure you check out the description of the episode for links uh, to the resources that we've discussed in this podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and write us a review. You can find previous episodes of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.